It's really good to see everybody out this morning. We've got a number of visitors. That's what's good about the holidays. We see lots of faces we don't see often, and we're glad to see you. Hope that you have an enjoyable time while you're here, and that as you worship with us this morning, that you will be benefited by what we talk about from God's Word. There's several reasons why we gather to worship. Praising God is one of those. But one of the other primary things that we do is we're involved in teaching and learning. We come together so we can learn more about what God wants for us. So I'm not at all downplaying the, the importance of worshiping God, but this morning I'd like to focus a little bit on teaching and learning. We all have a part to play, uh, whether you're in front of the crowd or whether you're sitting in a seat. And hopefully, those of you that are public teachers, you'll be able to take some things away from what we talk about this morning. And those of you that aren't public teachers, you will be able to do that as well. 1 Corinthians 1 and 21 says this, For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those that believe. The message preached. The world on its own, people on their own, don't generally just get it. And here particularly he's talking about the gospel, but that's true for anything. I mean, we've all sat in a schoolroom and thought the teacher was teaching or speaking Greek when they were trying to teach us to do a math problem or some other subject that we didn't understand how to do. And it took someone explaining to us the concept so that we could understand it better. And that's the principle that, that God is teaching us through his word that Paul was telling us that it takes the message preached. It takes that for people that don't know the gospel. It takes that for us to learn things that we don't necessarily know. So teaching and preaching is very important. In Hebrews 4 verse 2, it says, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So just because someone preached the word didn't mean people understood it. And here's a primary reason it wasn't mixed with faith. So the point I want to get out of those two scriptures as we introduce our lesson this morning is that there's a responsibility of the teacher to teach us truths out of God's Word, and there is a responsibility of the listener to mix it with faith and apply those things to their life. It takes both. And as most of us that have sat in a congregation like this for many years, sometimes one is better than the other. Sometimes I don't listen very well. Sometimes a speaker's not on their A game. But it takes both people both sides of that equation, and if both sides of the equation are doing their job, then our method works. It's a biblical method, and we've got great teaching. My point today is not to say that we don't. My point is to remind us of the things that have gotten us to the point that we're at and to, to rehearse or to remember that they're biblically based and to encourage us all to try to improve ourselves, whether we're a public speaker whether we're not, whether we're a listener, because we're all listeners at times as well. It takes both teaching and learning for us to be built up in the most holy faith. 
I'm not going to give a Greek lesson, but there's several words scattered through the New Testament uh, in the Greek that are translated preaching or teaching or something like that. Cariso is to proclaim after the manner of a herald, always with the suggestion of formality, gravity, and an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. So I don't have any authority of myself. When it uses it in this sense, it is that it's the word of God that's speaking, and when someone teaches about it, there's an authority that goes with it that we should obey what it says. We should listen to what's being spoken and listen to that, as we often say sometimes in view of a vast eternity. You know, we're listening to it uh, not in a, a trite sense or something that's kind of a passing importance, but something that's a very dear and grave importance. I'm not going to try to pronounce the word, but it's the word that we get evangelist from. You'll notice that in Greek it looks like that. That's also the word we get gospel from. We hear it as good tidings, glad tidings, but that word means to instruct others concerning the things that pertain to Christian salvation. Well, that makes sense to us. We hear the word evangelist. And many times when the word preach is used in the New Testament, it's in regard to Christian salvation. That's a part of what we teach. There's another word, didasco. means to hold discourse with others or discussion or talking to others in order to instruct them to deliver didactic discourses. And you'll notice those are English words, almost direct translations of the Greek word, of different ways that we teach people. And so we teach people publicly and privately. Everybody understands that. We're going to talk particularly about public speaking this morning or public teaching, but we do all of those things. And at different times, we may be speaking of things that particularly pertain to salvation, some things that's just general instruction. But that's what the public speaker, the person up here, has the responsibility to do. And here's how those words are used in the Bible. About 134 times it's some form of the word preach, 76 times some form of the word teach, some other ways that you see it in the King James Bible, tidings, gospel, doctrine, instruct, or be a disciple. So teaching and learning, those concepts are found throughout the Bible. They're everywhere in the New Testament because that's what Jesus spent all of his time on earth doing. When you think about it, when he was born, people didn't know what he was going to teach until he taught them. And he set up a model where he taught people directly, but he also taught disciples and apostles that went out and taught other people. And that's the model we follow now. So we teach. It's a core part of a congregation. It's a core part of a family, as we'll, we'll talk a little bit as well. Uh, but it's all throughout the Bible. Ephesians 4 talks about several things that are important for building up the church teaching is one of those and he talks about the type of offices the type of people that he put in place in the bible in the church it says and he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of christ in the king james version we see the word edify a lot that's not a word that we use in common english Typically, what we would use is the word building up, making people better, improving people or improving ourselves, making the church stronger or better able to take care of itself. And that's why people are put in place in the church, is what Paul said, 
to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We all know that there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, as I tell people, your job is never done. Uh, Charles and I joke about this. He's a maintenance guy at work, and a maintenance man's work is never done. There's always something broke. As a Christian, our work is never done. There's always things that need to be done. And Paul said these people are put in place, these offices are put in place to equip people, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. One person can't do all the work. Uh, there's another saying, many hands make light work. And you may have heard some combination or some variation of that. But the purpose of teachers is to equip everybody to do the work. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To build up the congregation. To teach us all more about what God wants for us to do. Just a few verses down in verse 16. He says, everybody has a part. For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We want a system, a congregation, that builds itself up. We've heard there's no such thing as a perpetual motion machine. Uh, you can't just let something go on, eventually the car runs out of gas or the electricity runs out. Nothing goes on forever, but contrary to what we see in nature, the congregation or the church is something we want to build itself up. It takes energy, sure, but he wants all of us to do our part to build each other up. And when that goes on, we've all seen the benefits of that. We've seen the effect of everybody doing their part. And one of the purposes of teaching and preaching is to show everybody what needs to be done, to give everybody encouragement, uh, to make everybody aware of their responsibility for building up the body of Christ. He says, particularly in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, that one of the primary reasons why we come together as a body is to build each other up. He says, what then, brothers, when you come together... Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Think about what that means. When we sing, we're doing that to praise God, but we're also doing that to build up our spirit. Sometimes we learn concepts from the songs that we sing. When we pray, we're communicating with God, but we're also being built up and drawn closer to God. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're remembering the great sacrifice that he made and we're building ourselves up individually and as a congregation. We can't build up the congregation unless we're all here together. And so he says everything that we do, there should be a purpose for it. And teaching fits right into that. In 2 Timothy 4, in the first few verses, Paul is giving instructions to who we call the evangelist Timothy, someone who was out teaching the message. He was teaching people to convert them, but he was also teaching new congregations. And he gave him some instructions. He says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead as his appearing and in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. So Paul says a lot to Timothy in, in that short four verses. But he tells him that you're not speaking of your, on your own authority. You're speaking by the authority of Jesus Christ. And when people speak publicly, we need to keep that in mind. That it's not us talking, it's God's Word talking. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. A simple way to define those three words, convict, correct, and comfort. There's a lot of purposes of teaching people, and the Bible's good for a lot of things. Sometimes we need to be convicted that we need to change our ways. Sometimes we're doing things wrong, and we need to be corrected and do it a different way. Sometimes we're down and out, and we need to be comforted. What Paul told Timothy is you need to be able to do those things. And you need to be able to, as a public speaker, as a teacher, be able to try to decipher what the congregation needs or what people need to hear. He gives him the way in which to do it with long-suffering. And I'm going to go back to school teaching because we've all got a, a good basis to, to compare that. After I had taught solving simple equations, in my ta I taught uh, a college algebra class for about 20 semesters. Probably after the third semester of that, I could do that in my sleep. <laughs> I didn't have to open a book and figure out how to do it. I could walk right in and do it. But guess what? The people that were in my class, they didn't know how to do it. And it was real easy for me to get impatient with them and say, seen this a thousand times why can't you get it well it was the first time they had seen it and I had to remember and the concept is we've got to be patient with people when we teach because I may have an understanding of it or you may have an understanding of something different but they may not be at the same place we're at and we need to have patience long-suffering gentleness it says to do it with doctrine so it can't just be things I make up. It can't be good self-help. It needs to be from the Word of God. That's what sound doctrine is. What he says the temptation will be, and I think we can look all around the religious world, is just the opposite of that. And that's what he means when he says, after their own lust, they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. He doesn't mean that they need to scratch their ear, and I think we all understand that. What he means is there will come a time when people want to hear what makes them feel good. They'll want to hear things that don't necessarily have to do with what we call sound doctrine. And Timothy, don't fall prey to that. And by extension, if we're public speakers, we can't fall prey to that either, telling people what they want to hear. Now, if people want to hear the truth, that's one thing and that's good. But too many times people are turned to things that aren't sound doctrine. They're turned to fables, things that sound good, but they're not based on the authority that we have, the authority of the Word of God. James chapter 3 gives us some other ideas about public teachers. And I want to read it out of a couple or two or three different versions. 
so that it'll kind of stick in our heads. In, Ma in James chapter 3, verse 1, the King James Version, what we're used to, it says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. We use the word master and think of the word master, I do at least, like a boss, someone who's in charge. And I read that for years and years and said, boy, I better be careful and not be in charge because I'm going to be judged more harshly than someone who's not in charge. But as we read it in some other modern language translations, and if you go back to the Greek, you'd learn the same thing. It says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And I'm going to go back to my experiences. I'm 53, barely years old. And what I've experienced is I've worshipped probably regularly in about six or seven different places, so it doesn't always pertain to here. But in some of the places I've been, there's been an idea that everybody's a teacher. And that if you're going to be a contributing male in the congregation, you're going to be a public speaker. And if you weren't on the rotation, that somehow that was a slight to you. And while it's admirable to be a public teacher, there are people that are very talented in that, the teaching that James gives us is just the opposite. He says, really consider who's a public teacher. Because it's not just something that we do in passing. When you're a teacher in public, you set yourself up in the eyes of people to be held to a stricter code. But more importantly, in the eyes of God, you're held to a stricter code. So it's admirable to be a public teacher. We need public teachers. When you look at the great number of, of public teachers that we have, I haven't put a number on it, 50, 60, 70. Our dynamic is a lot different than a congregation where there are six or eight public teachers. We need to keep it in its pro proper place and understand that, uh, and, and you know, it's hard. I remember it was hard for me when I came from a congregation where there are 10 public speakers to this congregation when they were 50 or 60. Your turn doesn't come around very often. And I think I was looking at it wrong. Uh, we're going to have another point or two that it's good for us to remember that when we teach publicly, it's not about us. It's not about the messenger. It's about other things that are a whole lot more important. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, he's going to remind us again, similar to what we read in Ephesians a little bit ago, that there are a lot of jobs and a lot of opportunities besides public teaching. And not being a public teacher, there's nothing that should make anybody feel bad about themselves for not being a public teacher. But it's also not an excuse to do nothing. There are jobs for everybody. And hopefully each and every one of us finds jobs that we can do. Remember what our job as a congregation, as individuals is? It's to build up each other in love. And we need to all do that. We've all got just as much responsibility as the public teacher has to prepare and do things in this setting 
we all have an individual responsibility to do things in the setting that he's going to talk about here. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversity, or differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And I'm going to do this again to make it a little more words that we would use in English. There are varieties of gifts. We understand that. We all have different talents and abilities. We've all been put in different stages and stations in life. But it's the same spirit that guides us all. There are varieties of service. There are different things that we can do individually as groups. But it's the same Lord that we're worshiping, that we're giving honor to. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. A manifestation just means an outward sign. So if we've really got the Spirit inside of us, there's things that we're going to do. But the purpose of those manifestations, here it's labeled as the common good. We do things because it benefits the congregation. And there's lots of things we can do. What should be taught? We've read some things about this. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to those that are saved it's the power of God. So preaching the cross of Christ is the core of everything that we teach. That doesn't mean every sermon or every lesson is... That's the topic, but that's the core and the basis and the foundation for it all. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 22, Paul says, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And I think he was talking about his techniques, maybe his attitude and where he went and who he associated with. But going along with that idea, he taught what was necessary. And as a public teacher, if you find yourself in this spot, you should teach what's necessary. It should be based in doctrine. It should be based on the cross of Christ. But we should teach things that will by all means save some. Whatever's needed, whatever's necessary. Ephesians 6 tells us how we should teach. He's talking about Paul, talking about people praying for him. He says, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We shouldn't be ashamed or timid about the word of God. We're not speaking of our own authority. I think when we were timid, sometimes we're so worried about ourselves instead of what the message really is, that's what makes us afraid. We can speak boldly because we're speaking with the authority of God. But coupled with that authority and that boldness has to be the right attitude. He warns Timothy, and we read it earlier, but again here, he says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, or perhaps, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. In meekness, instructing you know, meekness on the part of the instructor has nothing to do with the listener. I think maybe here, he's he may be talking about public, he may be talking about private, 
but the concept is the same that the teacher has to be meek. The, the teacher may understand the concept. The person on the other end may be completely erroneous and misguided. It says they oppose themselves. They're so backwards, they're, they may even be speaking uh, directly opposite of what they said the last time. But the, the idea is that God is the one that's going to work on their heart. It's not up to me. I don't have to be impatient and mad at them. I'm supposed to be meek as the instructor. Peter says the very same thing. Says the very same thing. When we tell people about the faith and the hope that we have, we're to be able to give an answer to them with meekness and fear. And that word fear may mean trembling, because I think if you literally go look it up, it means trembling. But the idea is respect. When we give someone our ideas, when we teach them, we owe people respect. We're to be meek. We're to speak to them in respect to God, in fear of God, but also with respect towards them. That attitude goes a long ways. Again, we've all had teachers that we would go the extra mile for. They might ask us to do something and we would go to the ends of the world to accomplish what they've asked us to because of their attitude towards us and the relationship they've built. And I guess we were all teenage boys and teenage girls at one We've all had teachers probably in junior high that were exactly the opposite. They did everything they could to demean you and made you have kind of a miserable place and I learned a long time ago, I don't have enough patience to outweigh a teenager <laughs> that's been on rebellion. And we, we flared back at them because they disrespected us. Respect given to a teacher goes a long ways towards us being able to learn. And the teacher sets the tone for that. If we're not worthy of respect, people aren't going to listen to us. And that's true whether we're privately teaching or publicly teaching. We need to give a meek answer. We need to have a humble attitude. Again, what we see in all of these things, the emphasis is on the message and the listener, not the messenger. Many times we think as a speaker that everything hinges on me. And when we flip it around and realize that everything hinges on the listener and that I need to adapt my ways to make sure that the listener, the learner, understands and learns, um, the chances of my ideas getting across them go up a lot. The right way and the right attitude. The right presentation has to be done. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, Yet in the church I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. The concept he's teaching is not English versus Spanish. The concept he's teaching is that a small amount of material taught in a way that people can understand it is to be desired over something that's really, really long that nobody understands. Our presentations ought to be that way. I'm not saying they need to be five minutes or five words literally, but they need to be understandable. Paul, as he was talking to Felix, 
it said that he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. What we know as a speaker is that everybody in the audience or everybody that we teach some other place has a brain. And the importance is that they use their brain and that we reason with them so that their brain decides what to do. Reasoning with people is a lot different than talking at people or yelling at people or preaching at people as we sometimes use the colloquialism. We can reason with people so they can understand what the Bible says. We talked a little bit about the right material. It can't just be any old thing. What Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, or rightly handling the word of truth. Sometimes we can use the word of God for things it's not intended for. And he tells us to do our best to handle it right. And as a teacher, that's a responsibility to handle the word of God the right way. Use the right material so that people can learn the right stuff. I've got just a handful of things that if you're a public teacher, some things based on the concepts that we've talked about for you to consider. Consider your topic when you talk about when you're a public teacher. Is it a topic that is a broad interest? A topic that addresses a concern? It needs to be applicable. Think about your way you present things or put it together. Is it well organized? Can somebody follow your train of thought? If you can't follow your own train of thought or somebody can't follow your train of thought, it's difficult to accomplish what you want to accomplish. You should consider the length of the talk you're making and is it appropriate for the time that you're doing it. On Sunday mornings, typically 30 to 40 minutes is the right amount of time. Sometimes on Wednesday nights, it's 15 or 20 minutes. And it's difficult uh, sometimes for us to gauge that length, but we should consider that. Do I use PowerPoint or not? You know, it's not about PowerPoint or about the tools that we use. A responsibility of a teacher is to get the point across. And we've all seen or heard something along the lines of we remember 10% of what we hear, 20% of what we see, 50% of what we see and hear, and there's some statistics that go like that. I was doing some research, and they said that's all made up. There's no data to prove any of that stuff. <laughs> but the concept is true. If we show things to people in multiple ways, I go all the way back to when I was, Brother D, I was probably 10 the first time I remember you coming. And I, probably not the best thing to remember, but I remember how pretty your handwriting was. <laughs> and probably if anybody of you is about my age, you remember, and it's still like that. But way before there was such thing as computers and PowerPoint, effective teachers did more than just talk at people. Because the fact of the matter, whether it's 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 percent, we remember more of what we see than if we just hear it. And there's some other things that we're going to talk about, but consider that. Consider, am I being as effective as a public teacher? Am I putting the right amount of effort into it? And does the topic and place that I'm at, does it need to be 
presented in that way. Again, we're not trying to make a hard and fast rule. You got to, but when you consider what makes it effective, you need to determine that when you become a public speaker. The point of public teaching is not entertainment. I think we've said that lots of ways and lots of different times and lots of different places. And we have to be careful to prove our point that we don't go to the other side and make it boring on purpose. <laughs> this isn't entertainment. And my, my purpose and my goal is not to draw attention to myself or to do a song and dance. There's lots of things that people do that have made us uncomfortable maybe in, in we've heard people speaking. As a speaker, you have the obligation to make what you're teaching pertinent and applicable to people. And when things are pertinent and applicable and organized in the right way, they won't be boring. They will be well-received, and they won't be entertainment either. They'll be in a way that people can take them and be built up. A couple of other things to consider. Don't confuse passion with your pet peeve. We've all got pet peeves. <laughs> Sometimes it's the same one our whole life. Sometimes it changes as we get older, but we've all got them. Sometimes those are called hobby horses. We have to be careful as a public teacher that that doesn't dominate the way that we teach. I'll go back, no names, no place, may not, probably wasn't even here. There was places I've been that you knew when that speaker got up, somehow the topic of submission of wives to husbands was going to be worked into every single... They could be speaking about the crucifixion of Christ and somehow the, the concept of wives' submission to their husbands would, would come into that and every other topic that he ever talked about. I've been to some that weren't nearly as harsh as that, but every topic became something about the family. Family's a great... Thing. Family needs to be taught about, but it's not pertinent to every topic. But their pet peeve or their hobby horse dominated the way that they taught publicly. And we need to make sure that that doesn't happen to us. We have to be careful not to confuse boldness with pride or arrogance. And maybe we don't intend that, but sometimes what we may call boldness or passion can come across as something different. And last, on this list, have someone that'll be your sounding board. Because we don't always come across like we think we do. When I was a principal, I always had the counselor, when I'd do a public awards assembly or something like that, she would stand beside me so that when I turned back around to pick up a, a certificate or something, she'd say, you just said that. And i go, I did? <laughs> because I didn't know what I said. I thought I knew what I said. And even more importantly, sometimes you don't know how you say it. And it's important to have someone you trust Someone that can kind of look at you with an objective eye and what you've said. And it's not a personal front. It's not a personal attack. But if you're really and truly a speaker that wants to build up, then you can take comments and advice from someone you trust to become better at that. On the flip side of the equation, not going to spend near as long on this, but a reminder that we've all got a responsibility for learning the primary word we see in the Bible is something to do with being a disciple. That's what a disciple is, is a learner. And one of the ways we learn is publicly. We're a pupil. And it's not just public learning, but part of it is that. And as we listen, 
It began the New Testament, Jesus did. He said, as he began his teaching, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. John, as he was writing the book of Revelation, said very much the same thing. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. What that says to me is that each of us has a responsibility to listen. We've got the responsibility personally to listen to what's taught and make an application to ourselves. We've talked a long time about the teacher's responsibility, but as we sit in a pew, as we're in the learner mode, we have a responsibility to hear. We have a responsibility to judge. It says, let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. Or as it says here, let the others weigh what is said. The implication of that is that after I teach, other people may be able to talk to me about that. And I can't take it personally. Maybe there's something I got wrong. Maybe there's another point of view. Maybe it's a way to open up a discussion so the learner can learn more. There's a lot of good things that happen when we have discussions about the Bible. And that's a responsibility of the person, the people uh, that, are, that are hearing what's being said. Some various thoughts about learning as we kind of wrap things up. Learning comes easier on some days than it does others. Some days we're a sponge sitting out in the audience and anybody can present it in any old way and I'm going to get something out of it. Some days it's hard for me to do that and I've got to focus and concentrate and work at it a lot harder. That's natural, but it doesn't alleviate me of the responsibility of putting effort into it when I'm in the pew. The fact of the matter is that learning comes easier for us from some teachers than it does from other teachers. And it's not always the same one for everybody. And, and that's why the Bible, I believe, in its infinite wisdom, set up multiple teachers because some of us respond better to different styles and different teachers. But I think we need to recognize that that's something that we all, when we're a learner, have to deal with. That I may not like Brent's style or I may learn better from David's style or vice versa think of any combination of that that you want to it doesn't alleviate me sitting out in the audience of the responsibility of learning if i'm going to be a true disciple i'm going to learn from whoever is up here it's important to listen to what's taught with how does that apply to me and i'll use today's topic it might have been early for some of the ladies in the audience to sit at the very beginning and go I'm not going to be a public teacher. This has nothing to do with me. Flip the switch. Well, there's a lot of ways it has to apply to you because guess what? We're all teachers, maybe not necessarily publicly, but we all have a responsibility to teach, and these concepts are true for everybody. But if automatically I flipped the switch and said, this doesn't apply to me, well, I didn't get anything out of it. I wasn't built up like I could have been. And that idea holds true to a lot of topics or to a lot of speakers, it's easy to flip it off, and we can't do that. The way to avoid that is to say, how does this apply to me? How can I put this to work in my life so that I can be closer to God and I can help other people? And if we'll do that, we'll learn a whole lot more. In a classroom, whenever somebody said, 
about an algebra problem. How am I ever going to use this in real life? <laughs> None of us ever said that probably, right? <laughs> the benefit we have is that everything that happens here, we all have a responsibility, every single one of us, to know how we're going to use it in real life. And it's our responsibility to make that application. I can try to help. The speaker can try to help. But you've got that responsibility for you. And I've got that responsibility for me. And finally, if we'll apply the teaching to our life and we'll get to a point where we're teaching other people, teaching our kids, teaching our family, teaching the friends that we come in contact with, we're going to learn things a lot better. We all know whatever the statistics are, once you have to become a teacher, you learn it way better than when you were just a student. Uh, I could do math in my sleep after I taught it a few semesters compared to when I was sitting in the classroom because I didn't want to look like I was clueless when I got up in front of a bunch of kids. When I teach something, I don't either, so I study it out more. That's just the dynamic that goes on. And so when I feel the obligation to teach other people, however that method is, I'm going to learn it better and be a better disciple. Teaching and learning is the core of successful congregations, families, and individuals. I think we do a great job of that here. My message this morning is continue what we're doing. Look at yourself, look at your situation, and see where you can improve, where you can help your family, yourself, or your congregation be stronger and better. Not everyone's going to be a public teacher, but everybody teaches. All of us need to be learners our entire life. Whether we're nine or as one of us today, 95, we need to keep, keep learning. And remember, as we started, it's the message preached mixed with faith. Hopefully you've learned something this morning. Hopefully it will help you as you become a better teacher and as you become a better learner. We haven't talked in the first principles, but the gospel is open to all. We always put out the invitation. If there's someone here that would like to be baptized, we would like to assist you with that this morning. If there's anyone here that would like the prayer of the church, please come while we stand and sing.